はーい Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast on this episode. Bob Irving. Last you'll hear from him on our show in a while because he's, he's done. The season's over. The Bobbers won the Great Cup. He emceed their parade celebration today. The rally at the Forks will get his thoughts on that and where this ranks in his career in terms of great moments that he's covered for CJOB and the Bombers. Also, we'll talk to Joey Johnson, a Manitoba wheelchair basketball Paralympian going into the Canada Paralympic Hall of Fame. And Jeff Braun and I watch and review Kingpin on the podcast. We are joined on the line by Bob Irving. Bob, are you having fun? <laughs> well, the last few days have been a whirlwind, haven't they, Christian, for uh, I think you and I and Greg Mackling and a few thousand other people in this province uh, watching the Blue Bombers win the Grey Cup and then celebrate. And I'll tell you what, that scene today was unlike anything I've seen with the parade downtown. You know, people ask me about 1990, the last time they won it, and how I'd compare it. And uh, it wasn't quite like this. And in 1990, they'd won it for the third time in six years. And so I think, you know, the excitement level wasn't the same as it is right now because of a long drought. But that huge crowd at the parade today, I know the Bombers didn't expect that. Oh, no? That big a turnout. No, no. They, well, they had no idea, really. But uh, it blew them away. Uh, you know, a number of their people said to me, this is just over the top. And then we had the rally or the, not the rally, I, well, whatever you want to call it, at the Forks. Sure. And it was just packed there. You know, some of the estimates I've heard were pushing 10,000, which is kind of mind-boggling, you know, in the middle of winter, although it was a nice day. Yeah. So it was uh, it was crazy. And the players, we had a script. Here's the funniest thing, Christian. We had a script for this thing that I was given by the Bombers, and we had a, uh, you know, a format we were going to follow. Well, the players came in, and they all just clambered up on the stage with the gray cup and started dancing and the script went out the window. <laughs> so we just, we just kind of ad libbed and, and winged it from there. I uh, had a couple of speeches, but the, you know, the fans wanted to see and hear from the, the premier spoke and the mayor spoke. Uh, Wade Miller said a few words, but the players want, or the fans wanted to hear from the players. And so we had about seven or eight of them speak and uh, it was raucous. It was loud. It was fun. It was just crazy. I, well, I guess the more appropriate question, not to compare it to 1990, but would be to compare it to 1984 then. Yeah, 84 was similar. And 84 was the end of a 22-year drought, as you know. And so, yeah, it was uh, crazy then, too. And I guess, you know, when people wait that long, it's more special and more exciting. And there's more reason to celebrate and go crazy. And I think that's what we saw today. I know that some of the, the people in the Bomber organization haven't been here very long got a better idea today of how deeply rooted this team is in the community and how much it matters to a lot of people. And I've known that for a long time, but today there was sort of visible evidence that, uh, man, there's a lot of people who care and, and want to celebrate this team's victory. Is today a career highlight for you? Sure. I, I will. I will never forget Sunday night after the game. Uh, I had the good fortune of going to the bomber uh, victory party and I stood in there for about two or three hours and just watched the players and the people involved with the organization celebrate and they never stopped Christian there was music there was dancing until all hours of the morning I left around 1 30 I guess and it was still going strong and then you know they come home today in the airport and there's that big throng of people to meet them there and then what happened this afternoon at the Forks, uh, yeah, I'll never forget it. It's really, really a special moment, I think, for, well, for everybody, and one I won't forget. 
So today, Jake Thomas uh, tried to give you the Grey Cup, and you briefly held it. <laughs> I, I know well, you probably. Uh, what was that about? <laughs> well, I, we were kidding around at the at the wind up party on Sunday night, and he brought it over, and, and as I say to people, he forced me to take a drink out of it. And then today, I guess he was trying to do the same thing. He just shoved it over to me. I've developed a bit of a relationship with Jake. He's been here nine years. He's right. He had a longest serving. Blue Bomber. So I've gotten to know him pretty well, and we kid around a bit. And uh, yeah, he's uh, <laughs> he had a good time there today. And well, we all did. Anybody who was there had a good time. Did you get to see any of the parade part, or were you just at the Forks the whole time? I was at I was at the Forks, but I've seen the video. They uh, they were sending me video uh, as the parade was moving along, uh, and I've seen lots of it on uh, on Twitter and, and different places, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, the video I saw was just, again, it was fantastic. Uh, you know, the players, I know the players were, you know, it's a it's a cool day here. For us, it's not cold, but it's a cool day. It's almost December, and uh, for that many people to come out, I know a lot of the players who just aren't familiar with this community would have been surprised. It's I, And I don't think it's a surprise to anybody, Bob, that kind of the heart of the celebration has been Chris Trevler. Wow, he has been just... Uh, yeah, he had a big fur coat on today. <laughs> and that nothing else. In a, well, that's right. Nothing underneath it. It was ripped in a bunch of different places. And, uh, yeah, he was uh, he was the life of the party for sure. And he was after the game quite a bit too. And uh, getting off the plane, he was carrying the Grey Cup today when they got back to Winnipeg. So, I tell you what, he's <laughs> I don't know if he slept since, <laughs> since Sunday afternoon, but he's having a great time. Now, I, maybe I should ask this to our friend Jeff McWinney, but uh, we all saw the Grey Cup not in one piece yesterday. Well, when they brought it out of the plane, it was clearly not together, and the way they were holding it made it obvious. Today, it was back together, so who was in charge of the repair, do you know? I don't. All I know is that Wade Miller said, we fixed it. Okay. And I don't know what that means, Christian. We'll leave it to everybody's imagination, but it was all in one piece today, and it was being... It was not being handled very gently today, I'll tell you, but it held no. up very well. <laughs> I don't know how many different people have uh, drank out of that over the last 48 hours, but I'm not, I don't think they're wiping it off like they do at church. They're not wiping after everyone drinks it. They're just passing it around. Yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. Your Marcus Hardrick uh, had his hands on it quite a bit today, and he was waving it over his head and everything else. So it's holding it. The old Grey Cup is holding up well. Mm-hmm. At what point do we stop... Uh, you know, kind of reveling in this and start to look ahead to what happens now in terms of who's going to be on the team next year? Well, there's going to be the social Friday, as you know, and then Mm -hmm. a family thing on Saturday at the convention center. And I think, uh, you know, next week and the week after things will start to calm down a little bit, but then you get into Christmas. Uh, I know Kyle Walters and his gang will be going to work here as quickly as they can to try and get some guys re-signed. And that's always a challenge because, you know, the players on a championship team all want a little more money. And if it's not there right away, then they're tempted to wait for free agency. So that's all up in the air. I just don't know when we'll have any signings announced or anything like that. But I do know that the bomber management people are fully aware that uh, trying to keep this gang together is, is important. And they'll do everything they can to do that. And then the O'Shea O'Shea chance will break out at IG Field next year. There you go. Yeah, that was one of the highlights. And Mike doesn't like it because it draws attention to him. Right. And he doesn't like that. Uh, oh, I think he gets a kick out of it. But, uh, yeah, th- that was that's one of the neatest things about this. The O'Shea, 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 O'Shea. <laughs> I'd never even thought of that as a possibility, no. but it makes so much no. sense. It's right there in front of yeah. us.
Yes, it does. Yeah, it is. It's it's obvious. Uh, did you, uh, if you had the list of, if you had to put a bet on the, because every parade, every celebration, there's always someone that swears, and whether they mean to or not, did you think it would be Matt Nichols? Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know. You know, uh, it could have been anybody, I think. Uh, probably, he wouldn't have been one of the first guys I would have thought would, uh, let's put it that way. But uh, no, I, w- I wouldn't have been surprised whoever it was. But no, he wouldn't have been at the top of my okay. list. Yeah, no, but you know, there's there's uh, booze flowing and sometimes you just forget yeah. and then it slips out and you're passionate. He was, he was of, of the people that talked today and we played the audio at the start of the show, I think he was, him and Andrew Harris, probably the two most emotional, don't you think? Well, Harris really broke down when I uh, called for him to speak. Uh, he had a hard time. He was, I could I could see he was in tears. Uh, and he's been that way a lot since the game because, well, you know, we all know what he's been through and mm-hmm. there's a lot of emotions flowing through him all the time. Um, but he, yeah, he stepped up there and uh, and said his, his bit. But yeah, there's a lot of emotional people there and a lot of emotions running through them. What's next for you now? You got to get some rest and then for like four days and then back at it? No, no, oh no, no, no. I'm uh, done now for till next uh, training camp. You won't be seeing or hearing me He's for disappearing. Just, I'm disappearing into the woodwork. Yeah, I'll be around though. You know, I'll yeah. come on every now and then and tell people why the Jets are doing so well, and and I'll react to some bomber moves on off and on. But uh, no, I'm uh, I'm sort of semi-retired, and the winter is mine. So you're not going to go to the social then? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll see. Maybe I will. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks, Bob, for uh, all okay. the times you've been on this season and uh, doing all your great work as always, helping out. And uh, glad I could be a part of it this year because it was a lot of fun in Calgary. And uh, maybe we'll have more great cups with Winnipeg going in the near future. Well, you did a great job in your first, your rookie year at the Great Cup, Christian. You did a great job, and I'll be happy to go there with you again anytime. I appreciate it, Bob. Take care. <laughs> okay. Winnipeg's Joey Johnson has been inducted into the Canadian Paralympic Hall of Fame. The three-time Paralympic gold medalist in wheelchair basketball was honored along with six other individuals at a ceremony in Vancouver November 15th. Earlier today, I had the chance to talk to Johnson right after he witnessed the Bombers' Great Cup parade. I actually just got back from the uh, parade with my kids, so (laughs) it was awesome. I mean, it's one of those things. I remember going to the last one when I was a 15-year-old kid, so I was telling my kids, you don't know how often and how many of these you get to do in your lifetime, so I'm taking you. We're going to have some fun. (laughs) What did you think of the the way that the Bombers fans showed out today? It's great, and you you can see the... uh, you know, the passion that they've had and 29 years in the making, I mean, that makes for something pretty special. So it's it's great to see and I, I, it's long overdue, I, I would say. All right, let's talk about why I'm having you on tonight. Uh, inducted into the Canadian Paralympic Hall of Fame. What does that honor mean to you? Well, it's a tremendous honor, actually. Um, I didn't know this prior to being inducted, but I'm actually the first uh, male wheelchair basketball athlete to be inducted into this Hall of Fame. So uh, considering all the great players that we've had come through our country, it's a huge honor to be the, the first one recognized in this way. What has wheelchair basketball meant to the Paralympic community as an option for sport? Well, it's huge. I mean, I think uh, at any Paralympic Games, it's always one of the biggest draws as far as the attendance goes and the fans go. Um, One story I kind of like to share, when I was playing professionally over in in Germany, a lot of Germans would obviously ask me why I was over there. 
and I would tell them I play wheelchair basketball. And the first response I usually got was one of sympathy, like kind of a pat on the shoulder, like, oh, that's nice that you, you get to play a sport kind of thing. I'm like, no, no, just come check it out. And we had a great club team over there. We'd get thousands of fans out for our home games and stuff. And after they saw the game, they'd be like, holy smokes, that's amazing. Like, I can't believe you guys are getting spilled out of your chairs like that or tilting up like, oh, I, can I get more tickets? <laughs> I'm I'm sure some people would be surprised to learn that there is a pro league. Yeah, it, well, it's not uh, common knowledge, that's for sure. And I can tell you when I was an eight-year-old boy diagnosed with my hip disease, uh, I sure didn't know about it. But uh, yeah, there, there's a, in Europe, they have quite a few pro leagues. Uh, Spain, Germany, Turkey, uh, France, they all have professional leagues over there. And I actually played professionally for a couple of years in Australia as well. So. So for you to be able to see the world to playing that sport must have been pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, what I always tell everyone is that as a little boy, especially as a Canadian, um, you always dream of putting that uh, maple leaf on your chest and, and going to represent your country. Usually it's for hockey, but uh, I, I think when you get an opportunity to do it in any way, shape, or form, um, you know, it, it's a very proud and uh, honored moment for now, when did you first try out wheelchair basketball? <laughs> I was diagnosed with my uh, hip disease when I was eight years old. So that would have been uh, 83, 84, somewhere around there. And then um, I was introduced to adaptive sports shortly thereafter. So I'd say uh, the fall of 84 into the winter of 85. And I tried all sports. My, my I credit my parents, especially my mom. She really pushed me to to get active again. And, uh, you know, I did tennis, I did road racing, I did track and field. Um, and when I first tried wheelchair basketball, I actually hated it. I was a, a scrawny little kid and I couldn't get the ball up to the rim. And I was like, this is the stupidest sport ever. But um, something kept drawing me back into it. And uh, as I grew and put on some size, then obviously it got to be a little bit easier. And I, I fell in love with the game. And, you know, I was on the national team for almost uh, 19 years. So <laughs> there's obviously something that kept me going. So what are the muscles you need to be strong to play wheelchair basketball? Well, that's the unique thing with wheelchair basketball is because, especially here in Canada, we actually um, allow able-bodied players to play as well. So their function in a chair is a lot greater than someone who has paralysis in their legs. So the more muscle you have, the easier it's going to be. And luckily for me, I have full use of my legs. So my core strength and my upper body is obviously quite strong. But I was able to sit quite tall in my chair, which enabled me to tilt my chair to gain height advantages and stuff. But for people who are missing limbs, missing legs, or who are paralyzed from like the chest down, then the muscles obviously are just coming from their upper body, their chest, and their arms. So depending on the ability or disability in this case of, of the player, um, yeah, it makes it a little more challenging or a little more easy. So I suppose that's unique to wheelchair basketball, the fact that able-bodied players can play. Yeah, and that's only in a few countries. Like internationally, uh, they're not allowed to play at the Paralympics or anything, but here in Canada, they are. And I was very fortunate in that way as well because I was very close with my siblings growing up. I have an older brother and a younger sister. And when the able-bodied sporting world was kind of taken away from me, I, I you know, that, that shattered me. Um, but be able to to be able to find another sport where we could all compete um, on a level playing field again was a huge, um, 
you know, success story for us. Uh, my brother actually went on and he, he became the coach of the Canadian women's team. He coached them for a number of years. He was a world champion with them. And my sister was the executive director for Manitoba Wheelchair Sports Association for a number of years. Um, so, yeah, we've all kind of went down this path in adaptive sport that uh, has taken us all over the world. So you competed at five Paralympic Games. You won three gold medals in Sydney, Athens, and London, and silver in Beijing. What was it like to represent Canada on the grandest of athletic stages, the Olympics? Yeah, as I said before, it's a tremendous honor. I'm, I'm a very proud Canadian. Um, you know, I've got to travel the world representing Canada, and, and I felt that I, I've done it to the best of my ability. But anytime when you get to go to a competition like that and you get to hear your anthem play and you're on top of the podium, I mean, there's no words to describe that feeling, but there, it, it's really no better feeling in the world. Is Canada still near the top of the world at wheelchair basketball? Um, after London, when we won gold in London, we had quite a few veteran players step down and retire. So our program's in a bit of a you know, turnover stage, but we do have some young up-and-comers mixed in with some decent veteran players. So we're hoping to claw back to the top. But we had a not a strong showing in the... Uh, Rio games, they're the 11th there, and then at the last World Championships, we were 12th. So we're, we're trying to get back up to the top. Though. So you're still part of the national squad then? Yeah, so I kind of joined the real world um, after London and got a job, and I did that for about three and a half years, and then it was the British team that gave me a call and said they were in need of an assistant coach heading into the Rio games and asked me if I'd be interested. So I, I was coaching the, the British team in Rio and then uh, things went really well with them, but they were kind of hinting at me moving over to England and I wasn't ready to uproot my family. So uh, I stepped down from that and then that's when Canada came knocking on the door. So uh, they asked me if I wanted to be the assistant coach heading into uh, the Tokyo games. And so right now I'm currently the assistant coach for the men's program. People that watch basketball know that there's a lot of you know deep shots taken. The three-point ball has definitely changed the way the NBA is played. But in wheelchair basketball, what's the typical range for a shot in terms of distance? Oh, we have some tremendous three-point shooters in the world right now. And, and it's quite amazing when you think about it, as we talked about before, when it's all that power is generated from your upper body. So when you're moving down the court, you're not moving with your legs, you're moving with your arms. And then to have the strength left in those arms to shoot a three-pointer. But yeah, we have some guys in the, the world right now that are, are tremendous three-point shooters. So they, they floor me every time I watch them shoot. And the court's the exact same, right? All the court dimensions are the same. The basket, the ball, everything's the same. The the only the biggest difference in wheelchair basketball is we have no double dribble rule. So every two pushes of the wheel, you have to play the ball, either a dribble, a pass, or a shot. Okay. And if someone ever wants to check it out, what would be the best way to discover the sport? Well, here in Winnipeg, we do have um, a couple programs going on. There's the Canada Games team that, that uh, kids can try out for. Um, I'm not sure of the exact practice times for that right now, but uh, if you contact Manitoba Wheelchair Sports Association, they can definitely uh, direct you in the right uh, direction. Well, Joey, I appreciate you taking time to talk to me tonight. Congratulations on this, and uh, I guess keep enjoying the Blue Bomber celebration. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. And now we turn our attention. Every other Tuesday, Jeff Braun and I, we watch a sports movie. This one more sports adjacent. Kingpin. Kingpin. 
We have been doing some serious movies, some silly movies, and this might be one of the goofiest of them all. Oh, it is most definitely the goofiest. This thing barely counts as a sports movie, it's I think. sports adjacent. There's bowling in it, which in itself is a sport. Yeah, it's a sport. But and it, it sort of follows the traditional structure of a lot of sports movies, where you have like like a, a young hotshot athlete who just flames out, but then he grows old and mentors a new hotshot. So, and that's it's like uh, the Karate Kid. And in the end, there's this big game. Yeah, and there's a big game. Oh, kinda. So if you haven't seen it, here's the quick recap. Oh, it's good. Willie Harrelson is Roy Munson, who's this great young bowler, and then he gets his hand. Basically sawed off in the bowling return machine. It's mangled. It's a torture scene. I'm, it's, it's so you know, it's yeah. I was unexpected. Like, oh my God, that I was, did not know where that was yeah. going. And then flash forward twenty years later, he's he's doing nothing with his life. To be fair, he got that hand. He lost that hand because he was betrayed by Bill Murray, uh, a fellow Ernie McCracken, a, antagonist other yeah. bowler. That's, They're trying to run this yeah, yeah. con, and they got caught. Yeah. And sometimes a bowler just has to face the music. And that bowler is you, right? He got away, but Woody Harrelson's character did not. Loses his bowling <laughs> hand, his right hand. Now he has a rubber thing on top of a hook. Kind of like Happy Gilmore, where the guy with one hand tries to mentor this yeah. young hotshot. Yeah, that's weird, huh? And so Second sports movie with one hand. He man. ends up in this bowling alley. He hears the pins, and it's this Amish dude. Played by Randy Quaid, who has gotten crazy since then. He tries to mentor the Amish guy, doesn't work, and then they end up on this journey. And then there's this third, the woman that comes along, and eventually it leads to the final scene where the Amish guy breaks his hand punching a wall, and Woody Harrelson has to bowl Ernie McCracken. It's all setting up for the big game. He's going to beat Ernie McCracken to win the money to save the Amish farm, and then he loses, and instead gets the money because of a Trojan condom sponsorship. Yeah. <laughs> Which is insane. But yeah, I know, and it's delightfully foul. These guys, the Fairley brothers, of course, had a real moment in the 90s. They had what I call three comic masterpieces with Dumb and Dumber, and then this one, Kingpin, and then There's Something About Mary. This would be ranked three of the th- of the three, though, probably in terms of the cu- the cultural... Oh, yeah, yeah. This one was... It's weird. It's not as beloved as those other right. two. But and- it's... But it's... It does... It doesn't have as much heart as the other one, but it still really does. They're very good at presenting... These people are horrible, and you shouldn't have any sympathy for them. Because, however, however, here we are. You do, yeah, because there's somebody out there like Big Ern McCracken who's worse than Roy Munson, and so Roy Munson uh, by default becomes a good guy. And then everyone's using Munson as a verb, and Roy Munson's that, like, "What? How?" That is my yeah. It's like you don't want to get Munson out here in the middle of nowhere, and mo- it, multiple people used it. Who have never met him before. Right. If your name becomes a verb, it is almost always a bad thing. No. So there's a lot of humor, in, and it's simple humor, in Amish oh. guy in the real world. Oh. The cow joke and the horse joke, any joke involving an animal. Yeah, I hope you don't mind. I got up a little early, so I took uh, the liberty of milking your cow for you. Yeah, it took a little while to get her warmed up. She sure is a stubborn one. Then pow, all at once. We don't have a cow. We have a bull. Just hilarious. Even though, like, I mean, that cow joke, they did not come up with that. They may have been the first to actually film it. Right. Let's flash back to early in the film where Roy Munson has to pay for rent and uh, <laughs> does the dirty with his weird, gross landlord, and he's throwing up in the toilet after the words. <laughs> that may be one of the most disgusting movies or scenes you've ever seen in a movie. Did you watch past the end credits? Yes. Yeah, because there's a callback to that, just a blooper thing, which was... 
uh, stomach churning yet hilarious. One of the the bits is the woman that comes along with them. She distracts people with her body, yeah. and at one point, it's not working. So they bring in a sheep, and the sheep because distracts a farmer because they're rolling against farmers. Yes. Yeah, uh, it's a, it's also the rare sports movie that features so much bad sportsmanship and outright cheating and stuff. Yeah. Like it's just greasy as all get out. Like if you're a bowler, you should be offended by this movie <laughs> because they are simply but out you just be to happy make fun of you and the world. Movie? Yeah, but not if they're just going to make fun of you and they don't and and they just do all like the champion is Ernie McCracken who sucks. He's he's, he's like shoot, it's, it's he's shooter, like a top Mc... 10 film villain yeah. of all time. And he's basically if shooter McGavin won in the end. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and he's so funny. It's Bill Murray it's was really top good. five Bill Murray. For and his me. hair? I said the hair and makeup people, because even with Roy Munson too and his hair and all the makeup stuff, like with the landlady, they should have won an Oscar for this movie. No, they That's the Oscar know. they should have won if they were going to win one. There's this kind of, you know, feel good ad where he's trying to be a father figure to boys that yeah, don't have their charity. dad. And he's just basically just groping all the moms in yeah. the video. And- <laughs> I'm Bernie McCracken. When I found out little Billy here was growing up without a daddy, I had to do something. When Big Earn saw our picture in the paper, he called the Unified Fund and got involved. I had to. I couldn't help myself. And then the ESPN commentators, when he wins, are just lavishing praise about how he's this great role model. Meanwhile, we know he's just terrible. Now, I noticed I well, the football guy from ESPN. Chris I, Berman. Yeah, I recognized him. I assume some of the other ones must have been also ESPN guys. Not that I recognized. No, that's and there's a, yeah, that's true. Ninety six. There's a couple actual bowlers in the movie. I assume that would be the case. It's mm-hmm. tough to tell with the Farrellys because they also populate their movies with their friends. Which is so, why Roger Clemens ended up being in this movie as a cameo. Yeah, but that's also a follow up to Dumb and Dumber when they had Cam Neely in it as a sea bass and was I, a bully and this and guy I, plays and clemens plays skidmark in this yeah one. and i i read that they are related like the fairly brothers confirmed that those two are related skidmark and, and sea bass so that, that the movies are connected they both had uh they're in the same cinematic universe and they both had raunchy hats on i can't say what they said on either of those hats but it was <laughs> right. it was really funny uh yeah so yeah clemens was in i was wondering uh, i thought oh he's in it there's some other pro bowlers i'm sure i don't know if there's any other athletes and again some of the sportscasters i think my biggest cackle was when they finally find ishmael after he kind of ran off from them and he's a stripper yep that was a good <laughs> I one i was not expecting that Ishmael's just taking to every vice imaginable was one of the most pleasurable things to watch. Just but then he's mad that he's got this tiny tattoo, and that <laughs> is the sin. That that is all. Yeah, not the smoking and the drinking and everything else he did. But I've committed a sin. <laughs> I've desecrated my body. Can't go home now. No, can't go home. And there's a feel good ending where they save the farm. Yeah, and... I like that. And then I uh, don't care for the end credits with Blues Traveler singing that song. But... You didn't like that? No, but that was you very, don't like Blues Traveler. Was, no, that was very '96. Okay, well, because I don't, I don't really have a history with Blues Traveler. Yeah. I just know Hook from the I saw him a Stone do a <laughs> lip sync thing to it once. The question I have about the band playing at the end. They're on an Amish farm. When they get the electricity for the amp and the guitars and the Absolutely. microphones, they're bringing a generator for that. Guess that's why it's funny. Because the Amish people were dancing, which is strictly forbidden. I'm if sure. the Amish ever watched this movie, which they wouldn't, because they're Amish. That's right. They're one of the few groups you can still make fun of. <laughs> because they'll never find out. Exactly. I imagine it would be really hard to actually bowl with a rubber hand. Yeah, I was. I don't like, know how he got it to stay I've, on. I hadn't seen it in many years, and when they were starting up with the tournament, I was like, "Oh, is he going to use his other hand than his yeah than his good hand?" No, his rubber hand just works fine. Yeah, it's like really, he just found that uh, out now. Yeah, it's like what he wasted seventeen years if he could have bowled. 
that yeah. well all the way along. Yeah. Why wouldn't he have? Yeah. It, that's so a there's, that's a bad hole. That, that's a hole. Also, Woody Harrelson actually did suck at bowling, but I mean, he had a rubber hand on, so how could he actually bowl properly? But Bill, Bill Murray actually, those three strikes in the row at the end. He did that? He actually did that. And the crowd cheering all was genuine. Camera set up, they cut between it. I, I don't know. So, I read yeah. that they got three in a row. That's pretty good. So that's pretty. And Harrison apparently like got two strikes in the entire filming of the movie. <laughs> apparently, Chris Farley was offered Ishmael, uh, but he was in Black Sheep and had to do that. So Randy Quaid is perfect in this. this I, is, think it, I think it. I think was. I think the, Christmas Vacations yeah. is best, and I think this is a close second. Yeah, and in the end, it's not that long. It's you know an hour fifty. Yeah, it's it's maybe probably, a tiny bit too long. But it's probably like one twist and turn too far. Yeah, but ultimately it's. There are some there are some laughs. There's oh, it's funny. It's silly. I laugh it's, out loud a lot. Obviously, it's not you know sporty sport sport movie, but <laughs> if you're looking for a good time, yeah, yeah. And there's rules to it, and they've got like a mission, and so yeah. it's easy to follow. And yeah. there's an actual plot and story. To and do. yeah, Bill Murray is a total sleazebag. It's so worth it for the Bill Murray. Okay, so your rating, uh, I will give it eight and a half Munsons out of ten. I'll give it seven and a half buckets of bull milk out of ten. <laughs> Tune into the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck, but Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?